Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Southeast, the podcast where we take you through some of the major topics facing importers and manufacturers in China today. Hi, everybody. This is episode fifty-seven of the pod. Adrian here, and I'm joined by Arcia Renault Angera. Hi, Renault. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How's it going over in Asia? I heard there's a lot of stuff going on with the logistics and a lot of issues with that at the moment. That's for sure. It's getting worse and worse. <laughs> mm. I shouldn't laugh because a lot of our clients are suffering. No, but it's um, issue after issue. I mean, you had the the Suez Canal blocked, and then you have now you have. I think it's over, but it, it's been a problem for about a week. Uh, maybe more. A part of the Yantian terminal in the, the the main port of Shenzhen was basically inactive, so yes. that has had a lot of ripple effects. And, um, that that probably is going to have a bigger impact than the, the Suez Canal issue, actually, all all considered. So mm. yeah, let's see. And that's that's because of COVID, right? So they've had outbreaks in China. We we haven't seen much going on in China with it, but suddenly they've had a few clusters uh, around the ports and 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 connected to that, right? Yeah, they had I don't know two or three cases I think in the, the western um, western side of the terminal hmm. in Shenzhen, and then at the same time they had a few cases in in Guangzhou and Foshan, and then they they um, now they're testing everywhere in uh, Shenzhen, Dongguan, Huizhou, and so on, Zhongsha, mm. probably Zhuhai. Uh, so, yeah, you know, they, they're trying to contain it. They're, they're doing a lot of testing uh, everywhere in all the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, they, they hope to, to quash it before it spreads, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, and and very very fast vaccinations as well. I'm sure I read somewhere that it said that China's oh. doing 20 million people a day right. now or something. Yeah, I read that too. Yes. Yeah, so that's yes. pretty impressive. Today's topic actually is packaging reliability testing. So of course the packaging is connected to the shipping of products, which is connected to the logistics that we were just talking about. So when we mm-hmm. go into packaging reliability testing, this is really more focusing on packaging from the point of view of protection, right? Hmm. Right. So the number one basic, how to say, objective Hmm. of packaging your goods is to make sure that when they arrive, they're still in a condition that is usable or sellable, right? If you, um, I don't know, if you buy... um, I don't know, something like a microwave oven. Um, and there's a nice retail box uh, with color photos and everything that's going to be shown in a, in a supermarket, let's say. And you just ship the, the retail boxes like that. They're going to be stacked up in, uh, let's say, in a container. They're going to, you know, the ones at the bottom might get crushed. The ones at the top, if there's a little leakage, Will, um, will get all wet. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, when they arrive, maybe half of them have to be thrown away. I mean, it's, it's a huge waste. So to prevent that, um, they might be put into maybe, uh, well, definitely into master export cartons. 
maybe there might be also some uh, some other inner curtains inside to to provide some extra uh, extra protection but the the, yeah. the the master shipper curtains is going to be the most important for protection uh, and then there might you know they might also go into a, a, a poly bag maybe before going into the curtain just to make sure that the whole thing doesn't get too wet and then maybe you know they might stack up some some of the master cartons on, on pallets and ship it on pallets um, now pallets will provide also will provide more than protection it will provide protection especially if you pile it up in a way that makes sure that uh, it's going to go nearly all like to the top of the container and mm-hmm. if you don't ship for containers uh, the freight forwarders will not try to put some other goods on top of your goods, mm. <laughs> which is um, often a cause of, of, of damages. So pallets do protect. Uh, they keep things, you know, more rigid, like less um, moving around. You can you can really control much better how things are going to be uh, during transportation. Um, but they also help with productivity, right? Put things on the pallet, then after that you have a palletizer zoop, to, to, to move it around, to move it directly into the into the truck, into the container, and, and then out of the container directly into the warehouse. Um, it might actually save hours of work rather than having uh, freeform sort of cartons, you know, a bunch of, I don't know, 2,000 cartons coming out. Then you have to, to have your hands to, to move them around. But if it arrives and it's 20 pallets, it's much faster to, uh, to to unload, and that can make a lot of difference if you get yeah. a lot of containers and you have to unload them at the rates that prevail in uh, in in Rotterdam or or Long Beach or someplace like that. Um, yeah. So these are some you know typical examples. If you have some products that require extra protection, sometimes we see that they are in crates like wooden crates maybe um with you know wooden panels on on the sides now that really provides a lot of protection that's great um uh, but you know it's a small minority of products that really need that yeah it's it when you're talking about pallets for example it's definitely going to be helpful for moving things around and and reducing you know the labor and the time but also reducing risks because if everyone's moving something by hand, there's so much more chance of droppage and, you know, risks like Correct. that, right? Mm. Correct, yes. So okay. the rule, when you think of packaging for protection of the product, is that you always start from your supply chain. Okay, what exactly are these cartons going to go through? Are they going to be, um, you know, moved, stacked up in a container, um, or maybe in a truck and then there's going to be a lot of vibration in the truck and they're going to be put in a warehouse then they're going to be consolidated consolidated with other cartons they might you know and then they're going to be piled up in in a container they might be at the bottom of the pile you know so how how much weight is that going to be then you know how long is it going to be in this container at what humidity and what heat Mm. right uh, it might get very hot and humid for five weeks uh, because a lot of these routes go through the, the tropical areas on sure. the ocean. Sure. So, yeah, um, 
it's pretty hot and wet. And then it arrives, it's unloaded. How is it going to be unloaded? You know, then does it go to like a, a major distribution center and then it's loaded again into some other trucks and then go to some regional distribution center or to stores or, you know. So you need to start from all of that. And what, what are the risks? You know, is, is it going to be um, uh, dropped on the floor as you were alluding to? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's going to happen? And what is the cost of, of that? I mean, if the products are very cheap, um, that's less of a risk, financially speaking, than if it's, I don't know, laptop computers, right? Uh, so uh, you, you always start from what, what stressors, what, what risks are in the supply chain. And then from there, you have to think, okay, you know, what kind of packaging should we use for the product? And obviously you also need packaging, um, especially the, the, the packaging that is facing the, the, the final customer, the final user to, to, to um, maybe to please that user, right? So mm. if, if you, I don't know, you, you wanna make an electronic product and you want the unboxing experience to be as nice as an iPhone. You know, we have a lot of clients who say that. Right. Um, you know, that, that might call for, you know, very elaborate uh, design of the, the box for the unit, um, you know, the, the unit packing box hmm. with, with inserts and with, with all kinds of things. Uh, sometimes it's more expensive than the product itself, <laughs> which is... Um, which is a fun thing to uh, to keep in mind. Uh, in the Apple mm-hmm. stores, we, 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 you know, there's a lot of products like that, very expensive packaging. So yeah. because it needs to provide the experience, you know, wow, you know, this is such qualitative product, nice, you know. In some, you know, in some cases, that's really what people want. So you need to balance the needs of the very nice experience, kind of unboxing the product, and the need to protect the products, which I guess is number one, because sure. if it's damaged, it's not going to be a good experience anyway. Hmm. So there's actually a lot to think about. I mean, you've written before, and I will link to a few of your blog posts in the show notes for this episode, but that, that in fact, a lot of importers don't even specify how products should be packaged at all. But I think you've said in the past that really this is an important part of the entire you know new product introduction process oh, yeah. thinking about packaging oh, yeah. oh. Um, well it makes me think of something else uh, mm-hmm. you don't just want to protect the products and make the user experience as good as possible you also want to keep the costs of moving these products low because right. if, um, if it's very bulky and and you know, the packaging can add a lot of uh, volume. So that becomes expensive, especially by air, right? Um, mm. for, for products that are not very dense, it, if it adds a lot of volume, it's just terrible uh, for, for the cost, the, the freight costs. So you need to balance all of that. And so, yes, as, as you say, a lot of importers come to the game and say, okay, yes, uh, I focus a lot on the product. I want to make sure that this product, for example, sells well on Amazon, or for example, you know, it's, it's really new and 
fixes that kind of problem or, you know, or that or response to this kind of desire will do very well on, on Kickstarter or, you know, uh, okay. They focus a lot on the product and they don't really focus on the packaging. And we've seen uh, some projects where the whole thing was delayed at the last moment because they thought packaging would be pretty, uh, pretty simple. But then, you know, if they want custom printed packaging, uh, you know, custom design and everything, they can't get that made in two weeks. I mean, that's just uh, not happening, even in even in Shenzhen. So, mm. you you know, that needs to be planned ahead. A, a lot of people actually trust their manufacturer way too much, and they uh, they they say, well, what do your other customers do? You know, how do they ship it? And uh, you 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 know you know better. You know, just make sure it's protected. And they think, hey, of course, it's the, um, it is the, the, the manufacturer's interest to make sure, you know, it, it's very well packaged and it's, um, it's very safe for the product. But actually, a lot of manufacturers don't, don't really give a hood about it. Um, mm. or they, they don't think deeply about it. The, you know, they're like, well, yeah, whatever, you know, the cheapest packaging. <laughs> After that, anyway, they buy FOB. As long as we bring it in good condition to their forwarder, whatever happens later is later. You know, it's, right. it's not our problem. They they will complain to their 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 forwarder if there's a problem, but it's not my problem, <laughs> right? So that's really you know the incentives are not there. It's really not smart to leave that up to your supplier. That's uh, that's really my point here. Sure. And so they need to. They need to, to pay attention to that. And of course, there's some product categories where it's much more critical than others. Uh, for example, if you buy, I don't know, some um, textile accessories, you know, if the products get, get dropped a bit hard on, on, on the floor, as long as the cotton box doesn't open, nothing's broken. There's no problem, right? Yeah. Um, that's why we, you know, when we do inspections of, garments or home textile or it doesn't even make sense to do a drop test of, of the cottons because the products inside are not going to be, be broken you know as long as the, the export cotton box is is strong enough it's not you know completely wet or already mm -hmm. damaged it's probably going to be fine the risk is not there however yep. another extreme is people who buy um, printed materials like you know, certain kinds of books or stationery and so on. If it's, you know, if, if, if the packing is not very strong, the corners are going to get, uh, you know, damaged a little bit. And then the whole product doesn't look new anymore. I mean, that's terrible, right? And I see that mistake made again, you know, over and over again. They really need to specify very clearly and to... To overpackage it, maybe a bit, you know, sure. put whatever, you know, 20 books into one carton and then, uh, you know, f uh, like a little carton and then four of these little cartons into one export carton. That's at least uh, five plies, you know, double wall. And um, and that's it, you know, no more than that. And then make sure it's on, um, on pallets and, and ship it out like that. Or if it's going to be sent by air, put it on slip sheets. 
it's uh, much thinner than, than pallets. I mean, nobody's really ships by air with pallets. However, the products can still be um, damaged in, uh, you know, during air freight. So you still want, if you move a lot of these products anyway, you might want to look into slip sheets. So basically, yeah, to, to summarize different products need, need different, different uh, types of packaging. And the buyer has to think about that and has to, to request that their supplier, you know, um, follows certain specifications or suggests exactly how they're going to pack it, you know, with photos and specifications and, and, and things like that, that the buyer can confirm. But the buyer cannot just leave it up to the supplier. That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and as you've mentioned, the types of products you need to think of the context of, of what's going on because, you know, apparel can't be broken by dropping a box on the floor, but a microwave oven, it can be. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Imagine a, a set of dinnerware in, in glass mm. you know? <laughs> or, or even worse. Yeah. Good, good example. Okay. So when we talk about how to decide which packaging we're using in order to get the correct level of protection that we need. I mean, the, there are a few elements that that are critical to this. Yeah, so actually there are international standards for that. Okay. And probably the most famous one is from the ISTA, which is a, an American uh, standard organization. Yes. Uh, you know, ISTA 1A and 2A are probably the most famous ones. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some others, you know, the Japanese have one. There's, um, you know, FedEx has one. I mean, yes, um, yes. Uh, I think Amazon sometimes has one. I mean, it's mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of different standards like this. And I was talking about it with a packaging, packaging engineer actually called Kevin Howard in the US and he basically, he never really starts from these standards. He kind of looks at them as, yeah, whatever, you know, for certain products, it's not enough protection and for, for some others, it's way too much protection. Meaning, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of money is wasted in packaging materials and also in, in shipping costs, right? Yeah. So that's why, you know, if you ship a lot, of a certain product and you, you want to optimize all of this, it's a good thing to work with a packaging engineer. Make sure you document, as I said before, your supply chain, you know, what, what's gonna happen to your cartons uh, or your pallets or whatever, you know, how are they gonna be treated? What are the risks? What do you want to avoid and so on? And then the, the packaging engineer would actually, you know, help you design the right kind of packaging and also help you design the right testing plan for that, right? Mm. And there's, you know, for, for example, this packaging engineer, uh, Kevin Howard that I mentioned, um, at one point was working for HP, uh, Hewlett Packard making uh, printers thing out of Singapore. And he, he completely, um, you know, rethought the, the way it's, it's packaged to make it more compact uh, and uh, less bulky, less you know, less volume, and actually it um, it, it was much better at um, 
preventing the, the damage that was done, you know, that was occurring in transportation, right? There are ways to do that if you really think about it, but very few companies actually do that, do that well. I think that's what you wanted to, to go into, but these kind of standards usually call for certain tests that basically replicate the, you know, the, the stressors, you know, everything that I mentioned here. Yeah. They replicate, for example, the, um, you know, how, how the cotton is going to withstand um, a free fall, right? So you do a free fall drop test mm-hmm. in a certain sequence, you know, on, on the cotton, uh, sorry, the, uh, the, the, the co- a corner, the edges around that corner, and then the faces around that that uh, that corner. That that's an example from a certain mm-hmm. height based on the the, the weight of, of the cotton. Uh, that's a very very typical one. Another one is compression. So the cottons that are going to be at the bottom, what's going to happen to them? You know, are they going to get crushed if they have a lot of load above them, pushing downward for 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 you know weeks and weeks right mm-hmm. uh, how are they going to fare so you basically do such a test a bit accelerated with a heavier load and you see how how it withstands it right um, and these two first tests require pretty much no equipment as long as you can uh, you know measure from how, how how high you you drop the carton and as long as you can put maybe you know big water bottles or whatever you know the right weight on some kind of flat surface that you put on top of the cotton, that, that you know, you're good to go. It's very easy mm. to do. The other two kinds of tests that are very common uh, require some specific equipment. One is vibration, you know, cert- and, and vibration is very interesting, not just to confirm that the, the cottons themselves will hold up, you know, for example, in a, in a truck, if there's a truck ride, uh, on, on a bumpy road, um, you know, how, how is it going to go? Is, is it going to, um, to get crushed, you know, much more easily? What, what's going mm-hmm. to happen also inside, right? Um, it also confirms that the product itself is, uh, is fine, right? So it's often done in parallel uh, on the, the packaging and the product. Uh, vibration is, is, is one of the, the main causes of failure of electronics, for example. Um, and so the, you know it goes on the table, and then there's different ways to to arrange the, the types of vibrations, right? The intensity, the the, the pattern, and so on. Yeah, the uh, the, the intensity applies to different methods of transportation. Somebody somewhere has worked out the correct um, intensity of vibration, for example, for a train and for air freight, mm. which is fascinating right. to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you try to replicate. The same conditions, which is smart. Mm. Yeah, um, and and then the last one is um, uh, heat, humidity. You know, as I said, it's going to stay in a container in, on, on the ocean, in the tropical area for, for for some time. How is it going to to withstand that? Right. Yeah. Um, so you put it in an atmospheric uh, chamber and test it there, basically. And these are the four common uh, types of tests. Mm. Um, and, and none of the equipment here is expensive. I mean, uh, we, yeah, we, we have a table for the vibrations. We have um, atmospheric chamber. Uh, it's, it's, you know, that equipment is not very expensive. It's, um, 
a lot of factories actually have um, have it. Yeah, the, 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 actually, we do have a page on site that explains the different tests that we do that you've just been through. So I'll share the link to that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm. Great. So that's a good introduction into how to select the right type of packaging for protecting products on those long, long journeys over the sea or even in air freight. So uh, before we finish, do you have any final takeaways to share with the listener about selecting the right packaging for the job? Well, you know, the, the closer the packaging is to the product, the more it has to do with the, 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 the experience, you know, in the retail shop or after they buy it, after they receive it and so on. And the further away, it's more about protection. You know, the, mm. Maybe the inner cartons, uh, the, the mirror poly bag, the, the, the master shipper carton, the pallets, the crates and so on. So, and you, you need to spend uh, some time on all of these levels. You can just focus on the product itself and uh, the retail experience. You also need to, to focus on, you know, the, the actual protection. And if you don't buy much, you know, you might want to overprotect a little bit just to be safe. And then over time, rethink it and 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 remove. But in in case of doubt, so it's, uh, my advice to to add a little bit more, right? Uh, maybe. Know, triple wall cartons in the export carton and and not putting too many units into it you know keeping the cartons relatively small maybe with some inner cartons uh, and you know talk about the factory about that specify it and if they don't want to help if they're like yeah whatever you know this small customer is asking questions whatever we'll just you know it means they're going to give you the, the the cheapest and simplest packaging you know or whatever they have in stock Maybe even, you know, especially now we're, we're in June, you know, we, we're really end of the spring, going into the summer. There's areas in, areas in China that are extremely humid. So if they buy their, uh, the cardboard, you know, three months, six months in advance in a big, in a, a, a big purchase just to have a good price, that's very common. Well, that cotton material you know by now is getting um it's getting wet it's getting very yeah, weak yeah. right so you need to be careful about that so understand your supply chain uh discuss this with your suppliers make sure you're not taking risks and then over time try to optimize it based on your supply chain risks uh what really your your cartons have to go through and um, yeah, and 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 then you can focus on you know <laughs> selling your products and placing reorders and everything. You don't want to be stopped by a shipment that's uh, that's damaged, you know, that has thirty percent damaged products that can be sold because you know it's a big loss. It's, yeah. it's really not fun. No, that's no good at all. Okay, great. Well good advice for everybody to just be aware of the packaging. Uh, I know that everybody is focused on creating amazing products, but that packaging, very, very important as well, as we've seen. You've written a number of posts and we've also got a good guide to packaging on sofis.com. I'll share the links to those. So until next time, Renault, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Adrian. Have a great one. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, 
don't forget to like and share and you can subscribe on apple podcasts spotify and all other places that you get your podcasts from see you next time